Yeah, like, and she says, I'm going to L.A. for faith. And and Riley hears Angel and I um, have an orgy planned. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to our second ever episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for millennials and Gen X who are caught up in the nostalgia of the entertainment of our youth. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what was just a bit problematic about our old faves. On this episode, we are continuing our dissection of the beloved, iconic series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you haven't listened to our first episode um, discussing seasons one through four, definitely check that out on our SoundCloud and Patreon page. And if you have, let's jump back in to season five. Okay, so season five, I'll let you start because I know you have a lot of feelings. (laughs) Girl, (laughs) I have so many feelings. I I have more feelings than like 20 teenage girls right now about this this season. (laughs) Overflowing with feelings. So there are some major things that happen in season five. Season five, we are introduced to Buffy's sister, someone we'd never heard of from seasons one through four, who just popped up out of the blue. And everyone, except the fans, of course, remember this person perfectly. It turns out that this person, her sister Dawn, is a key that a demon named Glory needs. And then later in the season, Buffy sacrifices herself to save Dawn. So that's the recap of what happens on season five. Buffy ends up sacrificing her life for this very new person that we very don't know. new. <laughs> right. So this is why I have so many feelings about season five. Season five, honestly, for me, indisputably, was where the show started to go downhill. Now, Alex and I both had our you know, a lot of things about season four that we didn't like, but the show very much still felt like Buffy. And in season five, that shifted radically. We are introduced to a new character, not a recurring character, not a supporting character, but someone who is presented as, um, as someone who's supposed to be part of the main cast. So what happens is when Dawn, the key that this demon needs is placed in this dimension, memories of her and a life with her are pushed into Buffy's mind and the lives of everyone Buffy knows and has ever met. So as far as everyone is concerned, Buffy is an older sister, not an only child. And what the reason why this feels like such a betrayal as a viewer is because um, while I hate the term homewrecker and it's not applicable in any other context, I feel like it's very <laughs> applicable here. She is. She's a homewrecker. She just showed up and ruined our family dynamic. We didn't ask for her. No one invited her. She just she just showed up here. And so to introduce a character, force the audience to feel for her 
and have our protagonist die for her all within one season was a lot. I feel like they were asking a lot from the audience. I, I was not with it. I was never with it. No amount of great writing made up for this. And this was the first time watching Buffy where I felt like emotions were being forced. We talked about plot and pacing in, in prior seasons. There really was absolutely nothing they could have done to convince the audience that it was okay for our hero to die for someone who literally just got here. <laughs> and you know what? That's real. It's funny because we've had this... lot to ask from the audience and the show does its absolute best to try to get us to love Don but it's just not it's not happening right and the problem isn't even Don Don is a character that's written fairly well Michelle Trachenberg does a great job playing Don the point is why is she here and more <laughs> to the point why is she worth dying for? Like, legit. Right. It's just a lot to ask, you know, a character that we've now known for five years that we love. Like, we really love Buffy. We love her so much. To, to ask the audience to be like, yeah, she's gonna, she's gonna sacrifice it all and risk it all for this person you just met who right. is... It's fine, but it's, yeah, it's still also kind of annoying. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask for. And oh. the thing is, I feel like even the concept of the key could have been done without the introduction of this new character. Y'all could have made the keys. Y'all could have made the key Xander, like put the energy inside of her, uh, of him. You could have made the key Willow. You could have made the, the key, like Spike even. Like make the key That's... literally somebody that we have an attachment to already. That's true. Like, if they had made Xander the key, that would have been more compelling and, I think, understandable. Right. Um, That's her bestie. You know, Willow and Xander are her people. Her sacrificing her life for them makes total sense. Right. Exactly. That's true. That part would have gone over better, and that would have layered and deepened the narrative. That's true. I think I agree with that. It could have been um, a really good way to mature the character of Xander Harris as well. Like, his time being the key makes him, like, be, like, less insufferable. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, maybe that's true. Like, that could have given him some sort of grounding and, and sympathy. Season five also marks the sort of beginnings, well, quasi-beginnings of Spike's obsession with Buffy that will... Mm -hmm later be, I guess, reciprocated, I suppose, in a sense. Um, yeah, also, is, if, if, if you couldn't hear that, that was reciprocated with quote marks. There is a caveat with yeah, that. There's a, a <laughs> quote unquote reciprocated. Um, it also marks the exit of Riley in the most ridiculous way possible. Riley is so... so Riley many is, of, so much of how character dynamics are ha are handled in season five leave so much to be desired um simply because i feel like um the house is just rocked by the entrance of dawn and the writers are really trying their best to quote unquote make it work but then a lot of the characters that we see on the show behave in a way that 
with the trajectory they've been given in seasons one through four is truly out of character. Yeah, in a sense, Riley doesn't feel so out of character because I think you sort of see his descent from season four uh, in that. So how Riley leaves you guys is like Riley, like, goes to some sort of like vampire den and lets vampires feed off of him. And Riley's, and then he just sort of makes all of Buffy's issues about himself and then sort of just gets like really self-absorbed and leaves. And it that never feels so out of left field for me because once Riley finds out that Buffy's sort of first boyfriend is like Angel and Angel is a vampire and there's even an episode late in season four where Angel and Riley confront each other. Um, he he's very preoccupied with he becomes extremely pre- preoccupied with the fact that Buffy dated a vampire like in a really strange way in that way that you know just insecure dudes do like why are you insecure over somebody who's just not even here anymore like why right. are you if I was, even if I still do love him or like I still feel kindly toward, towards him, at the end of the day, he's not here. <laughs> like, right. you are. Like, and here's the thing even if he was here, at the end of the day, she chose you. It's not like dude can challenge you to a duel at dawn. So, because we know what <laughs> like, they get so, into like one little tiff. <laughs> that's completely at his doing he's he's just so ready to like fight angel and angel's like oh my god what are you doing like why are you here like why are we doing this they got in one little fight and riley got insecure and started letting some vampires feed off him but alex is completely right this trajectory for him isn't out of left field because it kind of fits in with who riley is as a person and and who Riley is with Buffy. So as a person, Riley is very rigid. He is very right by the book. And he is very like, like that, that type, a conformist type. One of the hallmarks of this type of person is a lot of sexual repression. Then add to that the fact that he has projected so many ideas on what he thinks Angel and Buffy's relationship was and the insecurities he's bringing to the table. It actually makes perfect sense that he would do this. <laughs> That's true. And she just, it's horrible because she discusses it with him. She, she's like, you know, it just didn't work out. Shit happened. And, that's just not enough for him. So when she, on the show, when she goes to L.A., because she's got to talk to Angel because of, like, the faith situation, Riley just loses his head <laughs> for right. no reason. And he can't, like, he can't see the fact that it's, she's not going to L.A. to deal with Angel. She's going to L.A. to deal with faith. Because right. that situation, it's... It's not really, it has nothing to do with Angel, really. It's really actually to deal with her slayer duties. It's about, yeah, it's about faith. And he cannot, like, get in his mind that it's that it's not about Angel. Right, because why everything's about me and you and, and you know, to whatever it's- respect, Angel. But the thing is, like, more than the fact that she's doing her slayer duties, for however brief a period, Angel, I mean... Um, Buffy and Faith had a bond. They had a connection. They were friends. Right. 
And then, like, so <laughs> you can't just tell her not to go help her, her, her fellow slayer. And not even, like, help, but, you know, Faith is... Because in that season, just to sort of remind you guys about season four, you know, Faith had just been to Sunnydale and, like, fucked shit up. And, and she got away with it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, Buffy's going there to... In her mind, she's going there to, you know, put down a rogue slayer, to put down, you know, someone who is responsible for disrupting her life, um, disrupting her friends' lives, and almost, you know, killing everybody in Sunnydale. It's not, it has nothing, he's just bringing stuff to it that's not even there. Yeah, like, and she says, I'm going to L.A. for Faith, and and Riley hears Angel and I um, have an orgy planned. Right. <laughs> Basically. <Yeah. laughs> like, she's like, I got to go to LA to deal with Faith. He's like, no, y'all are going to fuck. Like, <laughs> right, right. And like, this is the thing. This is what, this is what bugs me. Like Riley is absolutely the type of guy that would like seek out a virgin because he's the thought of you ever being with anyone ever makes him insecure. Cause Angel is literally the only boyfriend she had before him. Like, bro, what the fuck even? (laughs) Fucked once. Y'all fuck all the time. Like, what are you right? Stop this. And the aftermath of the sex isn't something you, you she can forget. Like, even if she tried, she can't forget that he became a soulless monster who terrorized her family for months after they right. fucked. I don't it's, think she's going to forget that. Right? It's it's just like, they've just been through a lot together. You just gotta, you gotta understand. Like, and it's, it's just, you gotta move on. I just, nobody can help you through this but you. And then Xander, Xander, Xander doesn't make it any better. Cause, ugh. Oh my god. Like Xander, of course, because Xander is like impotent male rage, like the symbol of impotent male rage. Xander's like, yeah, you know, Buffy, she's going to LA. I know she said she's going for faith, but who knows? She might be fucking Angel. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. I guess if I guess if people start to die, we'll know she fucked Angel. And he's there like inserting all of that into Riley's head. And it's like, can y'all just well, I'll give Xander some credit to like Riley already have these thoughts, Xander or no Xander. But the thing about Xander is, and I did compare Riley and Xander on the last episode, they are so much alike. You know, obviously Riley is more handsome, he's more stable, and he's in the military, but they are the same type of insecure territorial man. Xander's- it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And we'll come back to this when we talk about season six. <laughs> about Xander being a blueprint for like all the <laughs> all the things that all these boys are doing that are wrong. Um <laughs> but Oh, the other thing that happens in season five as well, um, a huge thing actually, is that um, Buffy's Buffy's mom gets ill and she dies in that season. I was just about to say probably season five episode 16 the body is you know probably one of the most iconic episodes in the history of the show's run it's the episode that won the show um an emmy which was a huge deal at the time because fantasy and sci-fi like the genre was still very much looked down upon as a genre um and the show itself being a teen show for teen girls was 
very looked down upon and sort of mm-hmm. divided. But the body, you know, pushed through all of that. And it's one of the, it's just an amazing episode of television. Mm-hmm. So something that we said earlier in the last podcast is one of the things that Buffy does that's amazing is that the show is very aware of itself and it's aware of its history and it's aware of its and it's aware of its characters. This is on full display during the body. We see all these callbacks to way early seasons, seasons one and two and three of Buffy's mom, Joyce, and the character and how each character in the series uh, related to her somehow. And it's just really phenomenal to watch. It's definitely an episode that shows you why this show is, is and continues to be so influential to so many writers and creators because it really was the blueprint in a lot of ways for so many things. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, now, Joyce Summers was always not even a supporting character, but a recurring character on Buffy. And we see her less and less as Buffy gets older, especially once she starts college. But she was also kind of a cornerstone character. Both Joyce and Giles were like the parental figures, the kind of cornerstones in Buffy's life. In season five, um, she loses one of them. But later, later in season six, she she loses Josh for the most part as well, and he becomes a recurring character instead of a part of the main cast. And so um, season five is where we see the writers essentially forcing Buffy to become an adult. Right. And take on adult responsibilities. It's very, it's so grounding, and it has such gravity because... For the most part, we've seen this character take on these already take on these huge responsibilities in terms of, you know, saving the world and having this huge connection to her duties uh, as a slayer within the context of the show and all these fantastical elements. So to bring in this very grounded, very real life element to this character um, who's so used to dealing with so many hard things. What's also so great about it that we also talk about that other shows don't do is that the show gives it weight. You know, Joyce doesn't just die and then we, it's like, okay, she's dead. We're moving on. Joyce dies and the show sits with it very much. So um, everyone is affected. We spend a whole hour going over how each character is affected. We as an audience feel this grief um uh in a way that's profound and echoes through the rest of season five right um like i said joyce wasn't even part of the supporting cast she was a recurring character she was on a few episodes every season but that was enough to make us love her that was enough to 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 cement her relationship with her daughter in our minds and so when buffy lost her we felt like we lost her we had a chance to properly sit with the grief to mourn this character who meant something to our protagonist and therefore meant something to us now this is significant we didn't develop feelings for Joyce outside of what we felt for Buffy, but we are able to feel for Buffy strongly enough that when her mother dies, like it's like going to a friend's family member's funeral. You can be there with them and sit with them and understand that this family is grieving, even if you don't know that person who's in the casket well. And we see little um 
little snatches of joy is throughout the rest of the series, whenever Buffy thinks of her and we hearken back to her relationship with Joyce, Joyce doesn't just die and then completely disappear from their from their lexicon or from, you know, the show's history and the show's foundation. Like her her footprint is very much present, which I love. Mm-hmm. And we see how and it's also a huge meditation on just grief in general you know we see how each person deals with losing Joyce which I don't think I can stress enough I mean even Angel comes back because of Joyce's death like that's how monumentous it is you know um in a way I guess cementing his sort of status um in the show uh and Mm -hmm. um in Buffy's life um so yeah a huge huge thing so so what do we think of it what do we think of season five is it good is it bad or is it basic you know when it's good it's good when it's bad it's bad (laughs) uh i just want to say i i think it's just basic i think it's i it gets because there are so because the standout episodes of this season are do stand out so so wonderfully um so i would say this the iconic episodes of season five are episode one buffy versus dracula um episode seven fool for love where we learn how spike killed the two other slayers Mm -hmm. it was a great episode um that was my personal favorite (laughs) right and episode 16, The Body, I also think is a truly excellent episode. Right. I won't say The Body is my favorite because of the subject matter, but writing-wise writing and acting-wise, it's, mm. it's, it's unparalleled. It's unparalleled. So because um, those episodes are so strong, but <laughs> because the rest <laughs> of the season is, is uneven, um, it's, it gets a basic in my, in my book. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Um, So I'm going to say overall the season was basic, but it did have some good highlights. So I will talk about what my personal highlights were. Um, I liked the way that Joyce's death was handled. Although I didn't like the fact that Joyce died, but this person who just showed up is still alive. I really love the handling of the relationship between Glory and Ben. Season five is really basic, but it did have some highlights. I um, really enjoy the emergence of Dark Willow. So in this season, Willow really starts dabbling in some really dark witchcraft. And I, I promise you this character arc is probably the one thing that's saving season five. <laughs> right. The, that's true. The, the beginnings of the emergence of Dark Willow that carries into season six and seven. I don't think it's as basic as um, season seven, but it's pretty basic. <sighs> okay, now season six. All right, let's get into it. Buffy <sighs> <laughs> the Vampire Slayer. So, so. Um, Lex has a lot of feelings, so before she discusses those feelings, we're going to do a recap of everything that happens. In season six, here, here's, here are the major highlights. Giles leaves Sunnydale. Giles becomes a recurring character. 
Um, Buffy's friends use a spell to resurrect her, believing that she was in hell. And so they bring her back. Um, and then Buffy has to adjust to basically a, a bastardized version of Joyce's life where she is a single woman caring for herself and a teenage girl. Uh, read Dawn. Um, Buffy and Spike enter into a sexual relationship and Dark Willow reaches her peak. So these are the, the highlights of season six, but we have a lot of thoughts about it. Alex, tell me your thoughts. <sighs> I just, this is how you feel about season five, I think is how I feel about season six. I just, <laughs> it's just so much. Okay, so to reiterate what M said, the big sort of plot line that happens here with our protagonist is that the Scooby gang drags Buffy um, back from the dead using a spell, um, believing that she is wasting away in a hell dimension when, in truth, uh, she, they rip her out of heaven, which we find out um, later in the season. Uh, and, okay, so season six is actually fair. It's an infamous season because season six is essentially when Marty Noxon um, was pretty much in charge of the show. Joss Whedon was busy doing um, Angel. He was also doing Firefly. And he was, you know, I think gearing up to do Dollhouse. Um, so Marty Noxon is sort of, in 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 charge this is like all her and there's lots of like fan resentment because like the show gets extremely dark in this season um Buffy as a protagonist gets very very dark and self-destructive and I just and Marty Noxon takes a lot of the heat for that now I will say I understand what Marty was trying to do. Like, I really do. I get it. I understand what she was, what she was trying to make happen. Was it successful? Do I feel, I, I don't know. All I know is that even in this rewatch, it's, it's horrible to watch. It's just, I did not <laughs> like have any sort of like fun or levity, like watching this season back. Like, I just there's no there's no joy there's just no it was it was horrible and the spike oh and the spike and Buffy relationship you guys is horrible like <laughs> this is people who romanticize that relationship like we need to have a long talk so seriously it's it's funny because Em and I were talking about this so there's this interview on Vulture with Emily Nussenbaum, who sort of pioneered, like, TV criticism. And in the interview, they talk about this concept of the bad fan. Um, and the bad fan is somebody who I think, um, you were trying to describe. But the the essentially, like, the definition of the bad fan is, like, the fan that doesn't understand, like, what the show is trying to do. Right. So, like, they think that, like, Walter White is, like, the hero. Like, not that he's an anti-hero. Not that he's, like, a shitty person who absolutely deserves to die. But they're like, you know, Walter White was just a good guy, you guys, like, underneath. Like, they're right. the fan who, they're the fan who, like, um, did you ever watch You? 
on Netflix, um, Yeah, I did. The Bad yeah. Fan is the one who thinks that Joe Goldberg is a hero and a romantic guy. Okay, They're exactly. That They're that person. <laughs> so, you guys, the, and so, I will say, like, you, you, you got, you guys, and this is going to be an extremely controversial opinion, and I'm, and I'm prepared for that. I'm okay with that. But people who romanticize that Buffy-Spike relationships, that Buffy-Spike relationship in season six and going forward are bad fans. Like, I, like, they just are. Like, I don't know how you can, like, watch that and be like, oh, yeah, girl, like, that's, that's a guy who really loves you. Like, I don't understand how you can watch season five and see, like, his, like, really scary like weird obsession with her and then watch her sort of like hate herself every moment like Mm -hmm. having sex with him in season six like Mm -hmm. she's constantly telling how she like hates herself every time they have sex and then you're just like you know like they're they're in love like (laughs) right um here's the thing about bad fans though i think bad fans are a byproduct of a culture where toxic misogyny um, and toxic masculinity um, become so normalized that um, certain 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 toxic traits seem endearing or romantic or or are constantly portrayed as such, and so the audience internalizes them in that way. Now, Alex says. She understands what Marty was trying to do in this season. As far as I'm concerned, she did those things. Right. I see what she did, and I appreciate what she did. Because, Same. Um, this, here's the thing. So going back to where Buffy's friends um, resurrect her, let's keep two things in mind. Well, let's, say, let's keep three things in mind. They did not consult her. There was a witch among them, and nobody did a seance or broke out the Ouija board. They just brought her back. Without right, they don't even ask. <laughs> they don't even try to check because they don't check to see, you know, she's not angel. Like she's she it's not like she lived Buffy lived this horrible horrific life and like killed a bunch of people and so, you know, hell was always her destiny. Like she's, you know, was a good person and saved the world 20 billion times. Of course she's going to heaven. <laughs> like, right. If heaven is real, she's there. She's, and if she's, she's not there, there, I'm not trying to go there either. So just really had a commitment to her, to her calling and her duty and did what she was supposed to do. The second thing is that now back in this is a, this is a hole that the writers could have closed, but they didn't. Back in season one, where Buffy dies for literal minutes and before Xander brings her back at the hands of the master, this is enough to activate Kendra. But for some reason, Buffy is gone for months and another Slayer was not activated, or that she was they got and go looking for her. Are you right? Serious? That's so true. That's that's so real. You guys just left it up to the Buffy bot and nobody called. I mean, you buried her. You nobody called Giles and was like, hey, can you talk to the Watchers counselor and like do like a thing and figure out where the other Slayer is so she can come and be here? Right. Like Buffy's dead for two minutes. Boom, Kendra. Kendra's dead for like a day. Boom, Faith. Faith. (laughs) Come on, you guys. Like, get real. And uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not only was it ridiculous to assume she was in hell, but with the appropriate assumption that she is in heaven, why would you steal her sunshine? That was a Len reference. But why would you do that? Why would you bring her back here? Why would you bring her back here? What kind of shitty friends are you? What kind of (laughs) shitty friends are you? 
oh, just just friends who don't want you to win. And I I mean, I guess I get it for the sake of the narrative. Like the show was going on, like she had to come back. But my God, pull as it together. As far as I'm concerned, them bringing her back had nothing to do with thinking she was in hell and everything to do with the fact that her friends didn't want to let go. They weren't ready to appropriately grieve. So they did this and and convinced themselves that they were doing it for the good of the world. Right. That's, these are all things that are real. They This is all real. So she comes back and she is appropriately, you know, not wanting to be here. <laughs> like, she tries to kill herself again uh, from jump. She's like, oh, no, this this is not what I'm trying to do. Um, but she doesn't, and, you know, she stays. It just doesn't go well. <laughs> it just doesn't it go doesn't. well. It doesn't. It doesn't. In the context of everything, it's great. It makes a lot of sense. I, you know, Marty Noxon did that, and it, and it all makes sense. In fact, I even think it's really brilliant and really smart because in a way it's sort of a it's a revert to me at least it's a reverse of angel's plot in like season three you know angel is tossed back from hell buffy's you know ripped out of heaven um you know angel is like struggling to sort of like get you know reacclimated Buffy is struggling to get reacclimated and instead of Buffy finding this sort of other Buffy like figure in in and she's and I guess Buffy's trying to find herself and in someone and that she's really she's looking for someone to like really help her because she's in a lot of pain in the same way Angel was like in season three like a lot of pain instead she just gets Spike who is completely self-serving and is and just takes advantage of her in like an extremely vulnerable moment and I think in that in like and I think in that like narratively having like those same sort of echoes is really brilliant and because and the spot and the fact that Spike is a vampire and like they have then they have this really destructive relationship and then you in season three Angel is a vampire, but Buffy and Angel sort of have this, um, they sort of heal from everything that happened in the back half of season two to have that sort of narrative, in a sense, replay itself in season six, um, but be very, like, ugly and a perversion of that season three narrative, I think is actually really smart and brilliant. And it's why I think this show is unmatched in a way, because I don't know that like another show would like redo those things, like would even think to like have that play out in such a way. But, oh gosh, it's horrible. It's horrible to watch. So this is Alex's theory um, about why Buffy and Spike were put together in season six. My theory is this, that... um, Obviously, when Buffy returns from heaven, she is depressed and she is suicidal. And for all that she's gone through, I would say probably the end of season two was the closest we'd ever come to seeing Buffy this down. Um, And she really can't handle it after having enjoyed heaven. And so um, this 
in a similar way that some suicidal people might engage in self-harm, like via cutting, things like that, I feel like her relationship with Spike is like that. This is a way of her self-harming. Buffy understands that the relationship, I I, I I shudder to even call it a relationship. Like there's, she knows that their sexual encounters are wrong and that they're bad for her, but she does it anyway, because this, this is just how badly she feels. And I think it's a good way of delving into our protagonist's depression without, you know, being an after school special on mental health, I guess. And I think it's really good that she 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 the partner that she ended up being with at the lowest point in her life was the worst possible person that she could be with. Um it really highlights how she's suffering, um how she's actively making bad choices. And later on in the season when, you know, she's in her right mind again, she abruptly cuts off the relationship as she should have. Like she's like, you know, I it was it was really fucked up of me to even be with you because you're like beneath me. And she says this quote, you're beneath me. And she's like, I'm not engaging in this anymore. It's done. And it was kind of amazing to see that a character know that she made a string of bad decisions and just be like, I I'm re- I refuse. I'm done. It's the end. I'm I'm gonna move on to my best life now where as good as it can be now that I'm not in heaven. <laughs> right. Really, and then also really just taking this self-responsibility to to heal herself. She's like, well, um, I have to, you know, I think, like you said, she's self-harming. And I do think she's self-harming. But I also think she's, I also think she very much is like, she's crying out for help. And, yes. you know, Spike is never going to help her. And because he is not interested in that. Because if she heals herself, you know this whatever this sort of thing stops so exactly he can only have buffy at her lowest the best version of her could never be interested in him and he understands this intrinsically he does so he he never wants her to be well be all that she can be for lack of a better word because that person would never want him (laughs) and when you watch the whole series like the his attempted rape makes so much sense like that episode it it just because that's where it was that is where it was always leading. Um, you made this point that I love, love, loved in the last episode um, that I'm going to bring up again because it was so, I think, insightful in that um, you can't love a bad person into a good one. That doesn't exist. They have to have some sort of, they have to begin that way. It has to be there has to be some sort of like positivity or blossoming of 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 goodness from from the beginning and i think and i just you know i just love that so much i think i'm just repeating it um it's <laughs> for spike and there is none there is no good there's nothing it's not there it doesn't exist spike can come to being a quote-unquote good person is basically cosplaying good he can like sort of like like per- cosplay at what he thinks good behavior is, but it's always with some sort of ulterior motive or hidden agenda. And the thing about Spike is, um, as you say, that attempted rape of Buffy in season six, that's where their their sexual encounters were always heading because he doesn't love Buffy so much as he wants to possess her. Right. Because if he really loved her, if he really could feel that, or if he could really um or if he could really, you know, 
feel that for her, he would be clear enough to, and this is something that we talk about now, I think as a society and public sphere, he would recognize that she was in a dark place and he would say, you know what? This isn't, we can't do this right now. Like, I understand that you want to, but like, you're not in the right headspace for this. And, and you, you need help. He would, he would have helped her instead of just um, doing what he did. And this is in, in like I said, this is what we talked about. This is what's interesting, too, because if Spike had helped her through that situation, it's very possible that she could have been with Spike. Right. I've taken a step back and be like, you know what? I've been through this. I've lived through this and I'm going to help you through your grief back into readjusting to this life every step of the way. She could have loved him or at the very least respected him, but she never did either. She couldn't because he is. (laughs) And I hate this. And like I said, I agree. I think it's, I think the season's brilliantly done. I think for the reasons you said, for my theory that I still think is very valid. Um, uh, and also for the listeners, this is why Angel like always will always beat Spike because like Angel could at least step back and like understand that like what an action that he was about to take and not like Angelus, but like, you know, Angel with the soul. Angel could always- (laughs) Yeah, definitely not Angelus. (laughs) No, definitely not Angelus. But Angel could always step back and understand that an action he was about to take was going to harm Buffy in some way and then like make an active choice not to do that thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like he always like, he could always like- even their breakup, it's it's very much he breaks up with her because he's like, yeah, you're you deserve to go to college. You deserve to have mimosas at 12. Like you you should move on with your life. Like we love each other. I love you. That's real. But there's more for you. And it's selfish of me to keep trying to possess you like it doesn't make any sense. It's not good for you. And like he, mm-hmm. he makes the selfless decision. It's a selfless decision. It's a selfless decision. Right. Um, because Angel never wanted to possess her. He wanted to share a life with her. With and he her. realized that her being a mortal and the slayer, that was just not a, a, attainable. It's not it's achievable not, goal. <laughs> right. It's not real. It's never going to happen. He can't take her out to brunch. <laughs> Can't take her out to brunch. Can't take her out to the beach in the middle of the day. Like this, he can't. He'll never see her in natural sunlight. That's it. <laughs> it's like you know, vitamin D is important, um, right? And what is she gonna do? Like what? Like what's gonna happen? You know, long term. Like obviously, Angel's a good guy, but when she starts looking, when she starts looking more like Joyce, people are gonna talk. <laughs> Why? Why are her boyfriend so young? Wrong. It's um, like uh, they're gonna be like, um, so this is different. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why, and that's why Angel is always superior. But um, I don't. I honestly don't like any of the choices that Buffy was given, including Angel, because it just wasn't like a, a, an attainable, sustainable relationship long term. Riley was a whiny little um, insecure baby, and Spike was a whiny little insecure baby with super strength and no soul. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I know. No. no, but it's funny. You were, you know, you were saying that like Buffy's just like. A no, like a no, like a no, no man, no problem type bitch. Mm-hmm. And 
You're right. You you are right. I reflected on it and I was like, yeah, that's true. Uh, unnecessary drama into her life. Some, they willingly brought that drama and some, like that drama was just an intrinsic part of them. But these men were useless. <laughs> it's, it's how it was always going to be, no matter what. Like, and it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's how it's got to be. So um, if I had to talk about the iconic episodes of season six, um, I would definitely say bargaining part one and part two, episode one and episode two. Episode seven, once more feeling the very famous musical episode i just blame this season for so many things um hashtag riverdale musicals (laughs) oh gosh i hate it (laughs) episode 16 hell's bells and episode 20 villains uh which was you know dark willow dark willow that really um, was one of the highlights of this season. Allison Hannigan did that. Like, she'd always put a lot into this character, but watching Willow's metamorphosis was truly a thing of nightmarish beauty. It was amazing. Um, our villains this season were actually all mortal. They were a group called the Trio, which was Jonathan, Warren, and Andrew. And they were basically who Xander would have been if he'd never met Buffy. <laughs> basically. Basically. I feel like you could just tie all of this back to Xander. Spike is who Xander would be if he were, like, hot and had an amazing body. Because shout out to James Marsters. Like, James Marsters, you can always hold on to season six. It's like... He was working on his fitness for you. Like, you look amazing. (laughs) Right. You ate anything but salmon and, like, chicken breast and broccoli and it shows. Real talk, human Spike, a.k.a. William, was Xander. He was 1700s Xander. (laughs) (laughs) what makes a trio dangerous is because they don't have any supernatural abilities like they were our first pop cultural like i want i don't want to say the first but like like the most iconic group of people that we could refer to by the modern day term incels that's what they were exactly because there's this episode called dead things episode 13 and the episode is essentially the trio <laughs> kidnaps, I want to say Warren. Yeah, Warren's ex-girlfriend. They kidnap her and they glamour her into being their slave. And they essentially just rape her because they they dress her up in like this French made like hypersexual costume and they make her they order her around and make her their slave warren he sexually assaults her because she's not in her right mind right and right when they meet her she's even actively trying to give him the brush off she's like get away from me like i don't want to talk to you and they glamour her into and put her out of her wrong mind to make her do all this stuff so Essentially, when, you know, she's in the costume and Warren's um, kissing her and stuff, she starts to, you know, come back to herself and the glamour wears off and she appropriately freaks out and um, bests them and they end up killing her accidentally and they make it and they to the point where they have to conjure a thing to make Buffy think 
that she killed them, that to make Buffy think that she killed her and not them, but they are the ones that kill her. And they are absolutely, like you said, they're insoles. They're the first sort of coming of that. Right, definitely are 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 one of the earliest and still one of the best portrayals of incels, right down to their glamoring and rape of Warren's girlfriend. Because understand, they didn't just grab this girl and um, force themselves upon her. They glamored her, and in their minds, this makes it not rape. It still is right. very much rape. But as far as they're concerned, it's not, because the part of her that's literally under their control can't say no. And apparently... <laughs> not being able to say no sounds like yes when you're a rapist. Right. And it's it's a very smart episode and it's it's a very smart season, which is why I'm just like, yes, Marty, like, girl, you did that. And it's why, like, I don't ever want to hear people disrespect Marty Noxon because I get it. Like, she was really trying to teach y'all something. She was trying to like deepen this show and y'all just missed it. Like, people just missed yeah. it. I don't want to hear the slander either, because at the end of the day, I feel like number episode season six was truly a relief from season five, and she never ruined the show so badly by introducing a character who was wholly unnecessary. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Like, well, you know what? She's not responsible for Dawn, so... No, exactly. Um, Did she bring Dawn to the show? No? Then shut your mouth. (laughs) So, do you want to talk a little bit about episode 16, Hell's Bells, where Xander stands up Anya? Anya's devastated, but I remember watching that episode and being like, girl, he saved you. Like, you don't understand, because... Yeah, she she dodged a bullet, because... dodged a bullet, Like, there's only one or two reasons why he would have left. Because he was insecure a la Xander Harris, or because she gave, um, she gave, like, this whack-ass dude a chance, and then he started feeling himself and thinking he could do better. And this is one of two things that happens when you date a Xander. He's gonna start thinking that because you gave him a chance, he's too good for you, or he's gonna be terrified of messing it up and and therefore create some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where he sabotages a relationship. Right. And to give a little context to the episode, the episode 16 Hell's Bells is Xander and Anya's wedding day. And what happens is Anya's um, past as a vengeance demon um, sort of comes to interfere in her wedding in that one of the people she cursed comes back, uh, comes back and sort of implants these fake visions of the future into Xander's mind of, and these are completely fake. They're completely fake, by the way. It's just um, her... A, a demon that she'd cursed or something coming back and saying, oh, you know, if you marry Anya, this is your future. And the visions are essentially, you know, it's Xander and he's disrespecting her and, you know, he's really making their life difficult and they, you know, bicker and yell at each other and the marriage is essentially really bad. And Basically, he imagined that he and Anya become his parents. Yes, that become his parents. And the thing of it is, is that he would have, that would have never gotten to him unless he really realized, like, that is, you know, who he is. You know what I mean? Because if he knew that he was always going to love and respect her, if he would always, you know, 
rally when it if when he was in a tight spot like he, that that stuff would have never you could have never um ever you know overcome him with with that kind of a thing right like he really vowed in his heart to never be like his father right and here's the thing about xander so xander is portrayed really well by the actor nicholas brendan i have nothing to say about his acting i think he he played the role well the issue i have with 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 xander as a character is that out of all the characters and this includes characters that show up much later like anya and don and even spike um when he leaves to go to angel xander makes almost no real growth as a person (laughs) He doesn't. He really doesn't. Like, not. All he manages to do was somehow convince Cordelia to date him and then somehow convince Anya that she loved him by literally being himself. He was still the same type of insecure, needy person that he'd always been. He just found people that were willing to put up with it. And then he shot himself in the foot. It's like, Xander, first of all, nobody gets unlimited chances at happiness and at love. But you especially are annoying as fuck. You need to put the ring on this girl and get married. (laughs) And I feel like we, I don't know that you can stress just how ridiculous Xander is throughout all of the seasons. We're talking about someone who in the first season, you know, he's like, oh, Buffy, I love you. And she goes, well, no, I, I just, you know, we're friends. That's, that's all I feel towards you. And then from that moment on, even continues to one periodically bring it up even though she has like said I do not feel this way about you and then two tries to then control her sexually and control who she dates <laughs> I mean I was gonna say there's a really great episode on season in season one where um the teacher's um pet episode where um where um it's a teacher's pet. It's some episode where she has a date with a guy named Owen and Xander shows up at her house, basically telling her, um, what lipsticks not to wear and what clothes not to wear. And that she's sexy. Like he's her dad or something, something. And then, you know, when she starts to date Angel, I mean, consistently undermining him and undermining Buffy's feelings and undermining just, I mean, to the point where, he almost sabotages um he's the reason that buffy ends up sending angel to hell because he doesn't communicate that willow is working on restoring his soul and that buffy just needs to keep angel busy he's just you know he doesn't tell her i mean consistently and then not only doing this to buffy but doing it to willow even though right. willow had already expressed her interest in him and he brushed her off the minute willow gets with oz suddenly out of nowhere he starts he's like well you know he also wants to control like the like willow's like dress and how she's acting and like suddenly he's in love with her it is like oh my god regards to willow it was so manipulative because they were they both had partners not only was she with oz he was with cordelia and he kind of lured her into you know them cheating together because the fact that some other person you know claimed her as his girlfriend made her desirable now right exactly and even when 
they sort of start to have feelings for each other. And Willow's like, no, you know, I'm with Oz. He could have very easily been like, he could have, he's the one that's like, he's the one that sort of eggs her on and like manipulates her, like, I think, warm feelings towards him. And even mm-hmm. when, you know, they they cheat together and they kiss, Oz forgives Willow, right? Right. And because the- I think Oz can see very clearly what we see. If there's one thing that that character has, it's a lot of um, insight and understanding. Like, he's he's very non-judgmental, and I think this allows him to see people clearly, not just what projections onto them. Right. And, you know, Oz forgives Willow. Cordelia doesn't forgive Xander. And he had, and then he holds, like, resentment over it. Like, what? what right like i'm gonna cheat on you and i get to dictate how you feel about it too yeah (laughs) and it's like i get to you know you have to be miserable because i'm still miserable even though your partner gave you can you imagine being a cordelia giving a xander a chance and then he has the audacity to cheat on you like the audacity like audacity but yeah so xander had a lot of issues and it really it really pained me that um, he was such an iconic part of the show and was part of the main cast from beginning to end with having no character growth. And I think if n- more than anything else on the show, and I'm anything with a capital A, more than anything else, his inclusion in Buffy's life undermines her as a heroine. Just the fact that she puts up with Xander um, kind of reinforces the very unhealthy narrative that he is a nice guy when he's anything but. Yeah, he's definitely, Xander's definitely, like, a a capital N nice guy TM in that, like, he's not really nice. I, I only say that, I only, I guess I only think his, his inclusion in the narrative is, is right in that I feel like we've all had that person in our lives and we've all just, like, kept that person in our lives Maybe you haven't. Maybe you really don't pull up, put up with foolishness. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I don't. I don't. Here's the thing. Like I, I understand that we've. I have had friends like this, but I grew out of them. And a character like Buffy is someone that can learn from previous mistakes and step back from certain situations. She did it during her breakup with Angel. Um, she eventually accepted the situation in regards to Riley, and she did it w- after engaging in that unhealthy relationship with Spike. She can see toxicity in front of her, but for some reason, because Xander is less powerful and, um, um, you know, as thus far less violent than these other very insecure, toxic men. It's like she kind of has blinders on, or maybe the fact that he's friends with Willow kind of um, neutralizes the impact of his toxic behavior. But he's a really toxic person. He is. He he sucks. That's that's it. That's all I've got. He sucks. Um, and he did Anya a big favor, like high key. He did that girl a favor, right? Now, he did. He absolutely did. Um, Dark Willow was on and popping season six and i would want to say the, like the one of the big takeaways from again this is something they do with xander a lot like he doesn't change he doesn't grow but every once in a while he's useful so we put up with him he was useful when he saved buffy's life after the master killed her and he's useful and at the end of season six where his love literally um stops willow from bringing on the apocalypse and i i suppose it's appropriate for him to be the one 
um, to stop her. But, mm-hmm. oh, yikes. Dark Willow was really on one, and um, a little context there. Dark Willow emerged as a result of um, um, Willow's girlfriend, Tara, being killed by Warren, one-third of the trio, um, when he uh, a straight bullet that he fired kills Tara. This is significant because Warren is just an angry insult with a gun, and Tara is a very powerful, natural-born witch. But this goes to show you that there's really nothing more dangerous in the world than an entitled man with a gun. I think one of the greatest things about Buffy is that uh, Buffy kind of hates guns i don't know if we've talked about this maybe you already have but um we buffy hates gun the show is very much like has a love of action but every time a gun appears buffy is sort of like ugh, i don't need this so the fact that warren like appears and causes this huge rift and really cements his villainhood by just being another unstable white boy with a gun i think is very appropriate I think so, too. And I think the fact that the writers of Buffy and Buffy as a character don't really fuck with guns like that is one of the reasons why the show has aged as well as it has, Mm, because it really does make a huge commentary about the type of men that have an affinity for guns, not just guns themselves, but the type of people who gravitate to guns as a first resort, like these are the type of people we're dealing with insecure people entitled people um people that are violent towards women and this has not stopped being true (laughs) right that hasn't that hasn't has not under any circumstances stopped being true i think there are a lot of really amazing things happening in season six i think like i said no marty knox and slander i hear you disrespect marty knox in the streets like we gonna have like some real serious conversations <laughs> i hear you try to disrespect her and like we gonna talk um but at the same time i just i think that buffy spike narrative and like the romanticization of it i think it's the blueprint of so many like gross toxic narratives and relationships that come after it in television and media we will discuss later yeah we will definitely Um, be discussing discussing those those. (laughs) i definitely see this season as like the blueprint of those that makes me just like oh gosh um so i i don't know i guess it's basic i i don't i think i'm putting it in i want to say part bad part basic Because like I said, I understand, like, I get it. Like, I really, and I think there are some really wonderful, really brilliant ideas and things that are being executed. I just, I don't know. I think I'm inconclusive. All right. So this is where um, we have very different opinions. I actually thought season six was very good. Mm. Um, I liked it just as much, if not a little bit better than season four. Season five and seven were like the worst to me and the most forgettable. I like season six for a lot of reasons, even though I can admit that Alex is right, that I feel like this is when audiences and as a byproduct writers started glorifying and glamorizing toxic relationships on screen. I can say unequivocally that Marty Noxon and the writers of season six were not doing that. Buffy and Spike's relationship was toxic. They made it clear that Buffy thought it was toxic. Mm. Buffy ended it in a very unambiguous fashion. No revolving door, no back and forth. When Buffy comes to her senses and Buffy comes back to herself, her values and who she is, that relationship ends. 
served its purpose only for being an, a, a, a toxic means of escape and self-harm for her. So if it was a blueprint for those relationships, it absolutely wasn't her intention. That's and for true. that reason, I will say that this season was good. I will say, though, with a little asterisk, I think that there's a certain level of um, social awareness and emotional maturity needed to understand this season because it could easily be taken left by someone who's quote unquote a bad viewer or bad audience and doesn't understand the narrative. Like if you're a bad fan, you're not going to understand why Spike and Buffy are 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 at odds the way they are at odds. You're just going to think Buffy's being a bitch who rejected a man who loved her when that's not the case at all. He was a possessive, toxic asshole. You're not going to understand the way that the trio were set up as basically an antithesis to autonomy, to women's autonomy. You're just going to think that, oh, they're just, you know, these guys, they became bad because they couldn't get dates. You right. have to have a level of maturity to enter season six to begin with. Season six can't teach you. It can only reinform <laughs> what you should know <laughs> what you should know and also points off because like like season six is where we get once more with feeling which is like the beginning of all these dumb musical episodes that i hate i hate them like your actors can't sing they can't sing don't make them sing uh... my god please <laughs> like <laughs> if, they can, if they can sing should they sing because the original sing? numbers are bad <laughs> like should they like, the only person that has, like, a good number in Once More with Feeling is, like, the demon. And you can't convince me that he's not Black. And, like, under all that makeup. You already like, know. You already know. Like, I already know that he's Black. I already know that he's trained. I already know that, like, he probably is, like, some recording artist. Like, y'all don't come to me with foolishness. Like, right. everybody's so bad. Even even Giles. Buddy. Even Giles, who, like, Anthony Stewart Head made his career, like, on West End for a bit. That's, like, London's version of Broadway. Like, even him, I'm I'm cold. I'm left very cold. I'm just like, is this necessary? Are we doing this? Do we have to? Here's my and thing. I, I feel like everybody does a musical number to try to prove that they can sing, but, um... That's not what we tuned in for. For? <laughs> I could have watched Glee for that. And, <laughs> like... I'm not saying I'm a Glee stan. I'm saying when you watch Glee, you already you signed up for that. You know what? (laughs) If if because I know that's also another controversial opinion. You know what? I would be happy with musical episodes if like they were lip syncing. If they were just lip syncs. You know what? Me too. Because it's like it's super campy. It's super campy. I think it's fun. RuPaul's Drag Race reintroduced lip sync lip syncing into the mainstream more lip syncing to to the to the creators of america right and i feel like these musical numbers the thing that i just hate is that it's just it's literally like a 40 minute trying too hard like i already know you're acting i know i'm watching a dramatization and a fiction but when you throw in the musical numbers you can only expect me to suspend belief so much i'm sorry i'm sorry like oh gosh like, and it's some this reminded that I'm watching a TV show. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um season seven. Season seven was the final season of Buffy. Final season uh-huh. of Buffy. The end of an era. 
the end of an era, truly. So season seven had some highlights. Sunnydale High was rebuilt. Now, if you guys remember, um, the school was literally blown up at the end of season three. Um, Spike is uh, managed to get himself a soul, and he regrets having a soul now. And our it's driving him crazy, right? Right, it's literally driving him crazy because um, as much as he didn't want to admit it to himself, part of the reason why he loved being a vampire was because he just has so many freaking feelings and doesn't know how to handle them all. The Watcher's Council is destroyed Mm -hmm. and Buffy, thanks to Willow, with Willow's help, now has an army of slaves to help her. So jump in, Alex. What do you think of season seven? Oh, season seven. The only... Like you said, season seven is so forgettable. The only main thing I feel like I took away from season seven was um, another black person that's written terribly. Yeah, in, in Nikki Woods' son. It's supposed to be the Slayer. Spike killed. It's his son. It's her son. Right. Right. So um, back in season six, we learned that Spike had killed a slayer, a black slayer on a subway in New York, and that that long black leather coat that he wears is actually a souvenir from right. the slave that he that he killed, um, which definitely really puts a lot of of um, more complexity into his character because it, it fits in so well with this narrative of this man right. who wants to possess. Um, um, oh, something I mean in. And that's why we actually named it one of the iconic episodes. But he even says the Slayer, that Slayer, when he's talking to Buffy about that that particular Slayer, he goes, you know, she reminded me a lot of you. She's like, or he's like, you remind me a lot of her. Um, she had a lot of your style. So it, it to... Yeah. yeah, she absolutely had a lot of Buffy's fighting style, and we kind of see that in the flashback. Now, that is done really well, but that's because, like, literally the only time we see this other Black person is when Spike is fighting her, and he bests her, and he kills her. <laughs> this season is super forgettable, and it's sad because it's the most recent season, but, like, I remember we, I, when I recently rewatched a series for this podcast, that season's... Um, season five, though I disliked it, was very memorable because of the addition of Don. But season seven was really just, they could have just redone that entire season, to be brutally honest with you. They could have. There's nothing, nothing about that season stands out. <laughs> nothing, nothing. And it's funny because I think in a lot of ways, I think with episodes like him and episodes like Lessons, the opener, I think it's a response into the darkness of season six. I think they're really trying to bring back this sort of lighter um, qualities of the show, but it does not. It just doesn't go over. And, and, it, and it fails. And, and it, it fails. There's a reason why it fails, because you can, you can transition from the campy to the dark like we did between seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. But trying to go in reverse when season six was so incredibly dark, fam, what are you doing? What, what are, you are you doing? doing? You... Like you didn't even give us a chance. You you well, y'all were straight backpedaling the entire season. And w- when I talk about holes, I talked one of the biggest holes in Buffy was the fact that Buffy had to be resuscitated because there was no new Slayer in season um, in season six for whatever reason. But then another huge plot hole is in season seven, where apparently there was a spell where you could 
activate all the potential slayers and not leave one girl fighting by herself <laughs> every single night. Every one single night. night. And no, nobody, the Watcher's Council never sought out any Wiccans or Druids to perform this spell. They've just been letting these girls die one by one. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's so unfortunate. The whole thing is so like, unfortunate. What are you doing? What are you what doing? Are you what doing? are you really doing? And it's not like I didn't have watchers because watchers are literally groomed from birth. Like Giles was a watcher. His father was a watcher. His grandmother was a watcher. So y'all have watchers. For every potential oh slayer, there is a watcher. Why didn't anybody activate these girls? Like, oh, yikes. <laughs> Even with that said, there something that Buffy does really well and shines at is flashback episodes when they're investigating the histories of their characters. I always enjoy those. So if I had to pick some iconic episodes of season seven, I would pick, uh, yikes. I, I want to say him is episode six is really funny and fun. I also would pick lies. My parents told me episode 17, which goes into Spike's background a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I would pick episode 22, the series finale, Chosen, which I do think is very well done. I think so, too. Um, like I said, um, the writing on this show is never... It's never bad. Some of the decisions, the things they choose to write about <sighs> are, like, questionable, but the questionable. writing itself is not bad. <laughs> so Don, Don was questionable. Needing to bring back Buffy because there was no new Slayer was a huge plot hole. Um, the, 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 new, the new Don, not Don the person, but the new Don of a bunch of Slayers fighting together, like a sisterhood of Slayers, that was also super questionable and a huge plot hole. But overall, I felt but like... But in a sort of feeling way, it was great. Because it's like, oh, yeah, like, all the girls around the world always had all the power. It's in, in that, it feels good, even though it's a huge plot hole. I do, I, I do like that. But I also love the fact that Buffy doesn't have to do it alone anymore because being a slayer is marked with intense isolation. And it doesn't matter how many friends you have. She's always alone. Alone. It's true. And not having to be alone anymore is kind of a huge thing. I feel like they could have used this as a springboard for even another spinoff where, you know, we follow a group of slayers in a different part of the world even. And maybe now, like, that could be done well. I wouldn't say redo a show like Buffy, but if there was, like, a Buffy-inspired show where a group of people or even a group of sisters were fighting demons together, I would tune into that. I would tune into that. Listen, I would love for maybe a limited series and each season we follow like a slayer and like their story through time. I think that'd be awesome. I would be so down for that. Yeah. Kind of like skins with like less sex, but more heartbreak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more heart that. <laughs> yeah. Like every season, like maybe one season we do Nikki Wood, like, and then another season we do like a slayer in China. And then like another season you do sort of, um, you, you, you just, keep following stories of slayers i would i would love something like that i i would be yeah into that. i think that'd be super cool so that was like the one thing that's that's that season seven had to offer us honestly that one thing aside season seven was incredibly basic to me like 
Same. Seasons five and seven were, were I think, some of the most basic seasons of Buffy. So to recap, Alex and I are definitely on the same page that if you want to know what Buffy the Vampire Slayer was all about, seasons two and three are all you need to know. Two two and three. If you're not invested in giving the show like all these hours of your life because it is over a hundred episodes season two you can watch season two and season three and get everything you need to know about right the show. so the whole series is like 154 episodes so those two seasons are only um 44 episodes and if you're really pressed for time and you want something a little bit lighter definitely go for the 12 episode season one it's really fun it's really campy and it's something that will rip your heart out or like fuck with your head in any way <laughs> so right. definitely so, those are our recommendations if you want to jump into the show so wrapping up and like overall what what what's your good bad and basic about the entire series um the good the relationships between um buffy and everyone in her life and the way that she handles um any romantic or sexual partners i thought that was really good it really showed her strength as a person and um the way that she ended things with spike show a level of self respect that i think writers of other shows drop the ball on <laughs> so love a really love buffy really love the writing and the cinematography on buffy i love the time capsule that is seasons one and two um basic any and everything having to do with alexander harris um <laughs> <laughs> and bad any and everything having to do with don sorry but how did she get here like <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um yeah listen uh the show is unparalleled i think when you watch it you in its entirety you know we feel how we feel now about joss and that whole and joss whedon of you know wonder woman and the avengers fame i think uh but you know he did that this is it <laughs> like i don't think you can watch this series and not understand um how unprecedented it is it's just so clear i think in its singular vision and but in, he wasn't go ahead oh i think it's so unprecedented in its sort of singular vision um in terms of plotting narrative uh one of like I said, the biggest, biggest strength of this series is how aware the series is of, is of itself and of its history and of its character's history. Like it, when it, it fumbles the ball, but it does not fumble it often. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it's weird to talk about Buffy, uh, the show, without talking about Angel, the show, because I think they're so intrinsically linked. But to... Um, and y'all, I don't think we'll, we're going to review Angel right away. We might eventually get to it. But to see that sort of scope um, that, because now, nowadays it's like a thing, like cinematic, building a cinematic universe is a thing. This was the first iteration of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, in like a film and TV sense, like Buffy is like its own cinematic universe. And it it had and it's just it's it's 
I like I said, it's unprecedented. It's it's wonderful. Uh, it doesn't fumble the ball often, um, and it's a there's a reason why it's treated like the like the blueprint, and there's a reason why even now today it resonates as a cultural artifact beloved by fans and beloved by writers and creators. Um, the bad black people, they don't they don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, I didn't even I didn't, I didn't even put that as a bad because I'd honestly forgotten about all of them except for Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it does it is unfortunate. I think for for me, I think for me as a black woman, uh, I don't know how you feel, Em, because you're also a black woman. But um, I wish I don't know. I guess I just wish people thought of us like um, uh, in that way. Uh, yeah. So. My feelings on that are the black characters on the show. Like, you know, I love that they cut Bianca Lawson a check and that was cute and she's still getting money because the show's on Hulu now. But I really wish they'd never written any black characters on this show. I'd rather not be there at all than to have such such bad representation and disposability because and this is very very prominent on Buffy. There are many shows on television right now that treat any and all characters including supporting characters as very disposable. But on a show like Buffy that doesn't do that, it is louder still when it happens. And when it That's keeps so happening to black people, it's it's enraging. Now Josh right. Sweden isn't perfect and the writers weren't perfect, but they they went out of their way to craft a um a sort of um emotional bond between viewers and um characters that they either um uh, failed to nurture with black characters or they severed without a second thought right and you know i think i agree with that it's one thing to have a bad show treat its black dispo black characters as disposable but on a show like this where everyone and everyone's role and everyone's character is so well thought out it's it's much louder and i think much more disrespectful to then have a black character on a show like this be treated disposable be treated also in a disposable manner because it's you know that they can do better they're just choosing not to which is which right. is more hurtful it does it does that feels more hurtful right. i mean as a as, like here's the thing so as a black person growing up in the u.s i'm able to watch something with an all-white cast and enjoy it um but it has to be done right it can't be no friends where they live in new york but there's never any black people and and it can't be a situation where um where i feel like that lack is intentional now with buffy as watching buffy as a woman it's very clear that there are were a lot of women at the helm not just a showrunner but there were women in that writer's room you can tell by the way right. Buffy is written, by the way Willow is written. Yeah. Right. By the way, the trio is written. By the way, Spike is written. Men would not write other men like this. Even if they're not a man like this and they mock men like this, they would not write about a man like this. They would feel like a betrayal to them to write about another man like this. That is a woman, a woman who's dealt with a Spike, a Xander, a Warren, a Jonathan, and Andrew, who is writing this. But as a black person, I also know that that writer's room was incredibly white white out snow day like there was not a black person in that writer's room i put money on that yeah it's just it's one of those things um but overall i overall i think that's 
you know, the good is, there's so much good. The bad is bad. The basic, oh, yikes. The, you know, I would give it overall, um, you know, it's Buffy, bitch. Don't nobody ever try to remake this show, please. You are biting <laughs> off a lot. There, I, you're, you are. <laughs> although they are, although it's been put on hold, I think. Look, I know that there's a lot of people that need a check, but that doesn't mean everything should be written. <laughs> Listen, I, I see how you could redo do this show. I, I see it. Like, now, I would, because you know how we talk about certain things hit different when you, so you know how we talk, like, earlier, like, in the previous episode, we talked about the reason why Angel works is because he's in that traditional girl role, but, like, mm-hmm. you don't feel but you always understand that his character is important because ultimately like he's a man so like it hits different in a way right Right. so you're you're still subverting tropes there's a way you could do Buffy where like if you messed with the casting and you messed with the a tiny bit with the storylines you could really have it be super poignant and you could make it hit different but you would also but I think you would also just have to do it like you would have to do it almost frame by frame. No, I, I, I would do right. it frame by frame. Cause so, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing, except at the end of season um, three, um, I would, like, have... I would have, like, sent both Xander and... Uh, Angel and Xander to hell. There would have been no Dawn, and um, season, season seven would have never happened. No! <laughs> Rude. That's so <laughs> I said um, what I said. He should have been killed off just like Ron. Ron Weasley, shout out Harry Potter fans. So J.K. Rowling intended to kill Ron off in book three when he realizes that his rat is Peter Pettigrew, but because the movies were already out and fans already loved him, she kept this little whiny shit in the books. And he is definitely like the wizard's response to Xander Harris. I don't know. I feel like you can't. I feel like these days, like J.K. Rowling, you can't really take anything she says too serious. Though. Oh, no, no, no. She, she actually said this before she finished the book series, not now where she's ra- retroactively trying to sabotage it because she doesn't have another book in her. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, Rude, she again. This. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Uh, uh, uh. This is so cleansing. This I is so cleansing. Life. I do. I felt like I, I felt a catharsis. <laughs> All my life, I have waited to say how I feel about this show and these people on this show. Um, I will say one last thought, though. I think Xander existed and survived through the show just so that uh, teenage boys, many of whom were like him, could have someone to relate to on the series. Oh, I thought it was like to, or just to demonstrate like how how the strength of a, of being a mediocre white man, <laughs> just like the strength of that. Like he survived seven apocalypses, the end of the world. Like, and he really shouldn't have. How far being like a re- a regular ass white man will take you? You can just like survive all these things, and you know. It's <laughs> so much like greater people like Kendra have died and yet you keep on you you right like how that's life that's real like, as fuck shit gets really real out here and he just he doesn't just survive he thrives every single season Xander's life is on an upswing no matter what's going on with anybody it else it doesn't matter what happens like it's on an upswing like he doesn't finish college. He still he he like he doesn't go to like he doesn't go to college. He still like gets this amazing job in an amazing apartment because that apartment was like so nice, <laughs> like that he and I yeah. end up living in. I'm just like I, like, 
you know, so Buffy, Will, and Xander were like very, very young Gen Xers, and he was on the tail end of that period where you could secure a good future without a college education. So it's like all the things happen for Xander, no matter how shit he is. It's incredible. Um, Buffy, though, is iconic. Get into the show. Definitely get into seasons um, um, two and three if you have the time. Seasons one if you're pressed for time. But Buffy is an iconic show. It definitely set the blueprint. Writers hit the mark on anyone who wasn't Black. And I really feel that the way that they dealt with, um, well, not necessarily toxic friendships. They didn't handle that so well. But toxic relationships, um, mm-hmm. the way that was handled mm-hmm. was very, very well. The character was incredibly human. She was flawed and she made many, many mistakes, but she had a level of accountability that is sorely lacking in modern characters. And hashtag bring back owning up to your mistakes and taking personal responsibility for your actions. For your shit, yeah. Um, So next time we will be discussing a show that I think is a direct descendant of of Buffy and um, is so similar to the show in a lot of ways and um, <laughs> and in other ways just so so unfortunate and that <laughs> is um, the vampire Diaries so get ready y'all uh, if you get ready y'all just it's it's about to get really real Right. So our Vampire Diaries episodes, it'll be two episodes because the series lasted eight seasons. We are going to be talking about everything that made that, you know, Buffy progeny, I'll call it good, bad and basic. If you are not caught up on Vampire Diaries or you haven't watched the series yet, it is currently streaming on Netflix. So get into it and get ready for when we debut that episode next week. All right. Awesome. Thank you guys for checking in with us and please subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, We've got lots of cool stuff that we've got in the tank for you. So donate and do that. And we will see you next time. Absolutely. Share our podcast and definitely follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Bye, everyone. Bye.